0: It's the Bob McCallum Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers Online Casino and Sportsbook app today. Well, the uh, regular season has finally come to an end for the Toronto Blue Jays. They make the playoffs. They get home field advantage. Um, they had to go through a doubleheader yesterday where all kinds of weird things happened. All kinds of players played and players played at different positions and
1: yeah.
0: a bunch of nonsense. But it gets you set for the postseason, and that's what we're going to address today, Shannon.
1: Yeah, trivia question, Bob. How many games more or less did the Jays win this year in making the playoffs than last year? Well, you know, I I didn't keep track, but I would say one. Exactly one game, and and, and I think that there's lots of people to think. Well, last year, you know, they were they were a, a team on the go, and they were. You know, they got robbed of a playoff spot. And this year, the expectation was, well, they're going to make the playoffs. And it's a question early on whether they're going to win the division or not. And we're going to talk about World Series. And there's one game difference. One game difference in their standings. They, were, they won 92 games this year. And last year, they just won 91 and didn't make it.
0: Well, last year, they didn't make it. And this year, not only did they make it, they made it with home field advantage, too. So um, we'll see how that goes. We're going to address all these things. Uh, and more with um, nobody better. Dan Shulman, uh, voice of the Blue Jays, will join us after these messages. McCowan Shannon back with you again. And uh, it is uh, playoff baseball time. Uh, Dan Shulman joins us, uh, the voice of the uh, Blue Jays and uh, radio voice of the postseason on uh, ESPN, Dan.
2: ESPN radio. Yeah, this is uh, one of my one of my other gigs that uh, people up in Canada may not know that much about. But I've been doing Yeah, I've been doing this forever in October for them.
0: So what what have you got off the uh, the get go? Are you in Toronto?
2: I am in Toronto. I'm on the Blue Jays series. um, And then the Blue Jays control my fate a little bit. But I'm on the Blue Jays series in the first round. Uh, If they win, I'll stay with them. If they don't, I'll go over to the Yankees for the second round, and and then I'm on the American League Championship Series and the World Series. So uh, if things go well for the Blue Jays, I'll be calling a lot of Jays games over the next
0: few weeks. Gotcha. So it it seemed like it came down to either Seattle or Tampa. Tampa's the familiar team, albeit one that has been problematic from time to time for the Toronto Blue Jays. Seattle almost seems like an unknown. Tell us what you anticipate happening here.
2: Uh, It's interesting because when the Blue Jays played them in July, the Blue Jays were in at their absolute low point of the season and the Mariners were at their absolute high point of the season. Um, People may remember the Blue, you know, so many fans come down from B.C. and Alberta and Saskatchewan Mm -hmm. and the Blue Jays lost all four games. And Charlie Montoya was fired a few days later. Um, that yeah, that series in Seattle was the end of a stretch where the Blue Jays lost nine out of 10. And it was in the middle of a stretch for the Mariners where they won 14 in a row. So obviously the Blue Jays are better than they looked then. And obviously the Mariners aren't quite as good as they look then. But I think they're a very tough opponent. And I would have said the same thing about Tampa Bay. I don't think there are any weak teams in the playoffs on the American League side. Seattle has terrific starting pitching. Uh, Luis Castillo... Is as good as they get. Robbie Ray's Robbie Ray. Now he hasn't had a, a the season he had last year, but he's still really good. hasn't been as good in September, uh, but he's still difficult. and And maybe the wild card in all of this is Logan Gilbert, who I would expect to start a game three if it goes to three. He's terrific, and they got a big arm who will probably, you know, come out of the pen if need be. And George Kirby, in the in the bullpen, they've got some very good guys. Um, they've got a guy named Andres Munoz who throws one hundred and two. The funny thing is their closer probably has the lowest velocity of anybody in their bullpen, Paul Seawald, but he's one of these invisible guys, gets a lot of swing and miss. Their pitching is their strength. Offensively, they're not in the Blue Jays class. They'll take walks and they'll hit home runs, but they don't get on base as much. They don't string together hits as much. Uh, The bottom of the order isn't nearly as potent as the bottom of the Blue Jays lineup. So I give the Blue Jays a pretty significant advantage offensively but I do think the Mariners overall have a slight advantage in terms of pitching.
1: It, it, what do you, what do you make of what Robbie Ray will do when he comes back? I mean, this, this, he wasn't here during the season because of well, various reasons. I uh, didn't pitch here. So do, do, do you get a sense that there could be a little more pressure on the former blue Jay? I, I wouldn't think
2: so. I mean, he's been at this a while and he pitched against them in Seattle. So, I don't look at it, John, as, as much of a factor. The interesting thing will be if it is Robbie Ray against Kevin Gosman, the guy who the <laughs> yeah. Blue Jays signed to replace him. And it's right. very likely, you know, very possible that could be the case. But, um, I, you know, when he's introduced at the beginning of the game, when uh, Tim Langdon, the um, the PA announcer for the Blue Jays, just goes through the lineups, I think he'll get a decent round of applause. And then after that, I think he's uh, a sworn enemy, just like you do, else,
1: huh? You uh, do I think time. he's going to get booed. You think or he'll get booed? Oh no! I, I, I
2: think at the beginning, before the game, I think they'll give be some, you know, polite Canadian applause. But I mean, he didn't do anything wrong in in leaving Toronto, and and I think the Blue Jays have to be happy that they have Kevin Gosman. So, but uh, I, I don't think it'll affect him. You know, he's um, you know he's in his 30s. He's been around a while. Um, I, I I I don't think he'll have nerves. So Manoa gets game one. Do we know who gets game two yet? Uh, as as we talk on Thursday morning, no. So, you know, you can look at it different ways. Well, it should clearly be Kevin Gosman. Uh, you can say, well, he had that cut on his finger. Maybe they give him an extra day and let him start game three. And there's also a school of thought that if they win game one, then you throw stripling in game two the thinking being that if you can sweep the series, now you've got Gosman available for two starts in right. the division series, uh, because whoever starts game three of the division series uh, of the wildcard series, forgive me, would, would only have one start in the division series. I'm not sure I love that. Like if I'm Ross Stripling and Kevin Gosman, I think I wanna know what game I'm starting, but these are the playoffs and the Mets are talking about the same thing, starting in Scherzer in one, and maybe not starting Degrom in two. If they right. win Game One, maybe starting Chris Bassett in two, so that if they sweep, they have Degrom for two games in the division series. So it's not like this is, you know, entirely unconventional. Um, but as of this point, at least publicly, Bob, as we talk on Thursday morning, that we don't know who the Game Two starter is right now for the.
1: And, and there's no doubt, Dan, that Barrios really is out of the conversation for this uh, this round. I
2: would think so. I think Stripling has earned the right to get the start. He's just been so much more consistent. Um, you know, Barrios's high end is pretty high, but when he's gotten beat up, he's really gotten beat up. And you just, you know, it's just a risk. And, and listen, if they get through this round, he'll start a game in the next round. Right. If they get through this round in three, he'll start game one of the division series. So it's not like he's a forgotten man. And I 100% believe he's on the roster. And if, uh, you know, something unfortunate happened, like a pitcher taking a comeback or off the knee in the second inning, he's going to get multiple innings in that game. If a game goes into the 12th, 13th inning and they're out of guys, he's going to come in and pitch multiple innings and he could do fine. But at this point, I, I think Ross Stripling is one of the starters.
1: So the, the other thing for me in all this is, it, the, the, particularly Gosman and Stripling, is there an advantage or disadvantage? Are they better at Rogers center? Than they are on the road. What factor is that? Um, you know, it's a good question, and I will admit to not. Uh, I know Gosman has
2: splits. I don't remember which way they go, to be honest with you, but um, I, I don't think you you worry about that now. One of the things I think teams might worry about is, and I don't think it affects the Blue Jays, but let's say, let's just use Stripling and Barrios as an example let's say the types of hitters that Seattle has line up much better with one than the other, that can be a tipping point. You know, if, if, uh, if the kind of pitches that the the Blue Jay pitchers throw have better success against righties, lefties, high ball hitters, low ball hitters, whatever it is, that can be a factor. But I, I don't think that is going to be a factor um, in this series. I, I I'm, I'm sometimes of the mind, you know, don't dig too deep. Don't get too cute. Throw your best guys out there and, and let your best guys be your best guys. And, and, I think it's fairly clear um who the Blue Jays best guys are. Um, if it were me, I think I would just throw gosman in two and, and you know win or lose in in game one, but I understand if they are thinking what they might be thinking I get it, but sometimes I think just roll them out um, you know and stripling's been sensational, absolutely sensational for the Blue Jays. but gosman's had a great year as well has started in the playoffs um, can go deeper into a game than stripling can so, um, you know, I don't think they'll do anything like they did in 2020, where Shoemaker went three innings and then Robbie Ray came in for three innings. Like they know who their guys are right now, and I and it just depends what order they roll them. Out.
1: That, that defies modern baseball, though, Dan. You know, you're supposed to, you know, you got your guys with your keyboards and your computers, yeah. and they and they're predicting what happens at every inning.
2: Well, where you'll see that is in the bullpen, and you know, John Schneider I think has been uh, one of the many, many things I think he's done exceptionally well is he has been very precise with how his relievers are used. Um, if it's two lefties out of three coming up, you're not going to see Anthony Bass. They're going to load him up against righties. Uh, Trevor Richards, Adam Simber, Jimmy Garcia, they like them more uh, against lefties. If you've got a fire to put out in the middle of the game, in the middle of an inning, it'll be David Phelps or Zach Pop, one of those guys coming in to put out the fire and then somebody else starts a fresh inning i think they've been he and pete walker have actually been meticulous in putting their guys in the best position to succeed looking at the whatever you want to call it the windows or the lanes and the other teams lineup when they think certain pitchers have a chance to succeed now sometimes you can't do that you know it's like uh, i think it was the mike tyson line everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the face you get hit in the face you gotta you gotta adjust on the fly and i think they can do that too Um, but uh, you know where they do that, do that, John, is they're quicker to get Ross stripling out of the game than they are, uh, or Manoa Ross has not been 110 pitch eight inning guy third time through the order. And we've seen it this year. He'll be great through five, like lights out and somebody leads off the sixth with a base hit and the bullpen gets up. That doesn't happen in Manoa starts. It doesn't really happen in Gosman starts. So I think they know it can go sideways on Stripling a little bit quicker third time through the order. So that might be the thing. He might be doing great, and you still might see him come out of the game fairly early. So Just for clarity, Barrios is in the bullpen for this series, is he not? I believe so. Yeah, I, I think 100% he's on the roster because you absolutely positively need a guy who can give you four, five, six innings Again, in case case you get hit in the face, whatever Mm -hmm. getting hit in the face means, a long game or a starter getting injured or something like that. I don't see any scenario where Jose Barrios is not on the roster. He, He is definitely on and he might not pitch, but he's he also could become the most important guy in the series. If a game goes 13 innings and nobody else is left or if Manoa takes a comeback or off the knee. 100% 100% that fourth star and, and the Mariners will do the same with George Kirby. 100% that fourth starter is on the roster and could pitch in any one of a variety of roles.
0: Is it likely that this, the starter for game two is not named until after game one?
2: Well, that depends if, as as we were saying earlier, if it depends on whether or not they win or lose, then yes. If they don't name the starter before game one, then my guess is they're doing what we talked about, where if they win, it'll be stripling, and if they mm-hmm. lose, it'll be Gosman. So um, even if they don't say who the starter is for game two, if they don't announce it, I think we can kind of make an educated guess that it
1: depends on whether or
2: not they win game one.
1: But in theory, both of those guys would have, that, would have, that, that equation would have been explained to them, I'm sure. A right? thousand percent, yeah. yes, absolutely. And
2: hey, if they're cool, you know, so Friday night, they're in the dugout watching a game, if they're both cool with, I might start tomorrow. I might start the next day. Then who are we to say it's it's not okay, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, again, this is the kind of stuff that happens in the playoffs. You're 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 you can't plan as much. You've got to be a little bit more adaptable. So yes, um, uh, again, one of the many things they're really good at is communicating with the players. And I would say even as we talk now, Kevin Gosman and Ross Stripling know what the plan is. It's just that we don't.
0: One of the interesting things about this year and this Blue Jays team is that they have played the last, well, better part of a month of critical baseball without their regular second baseman and their regular left fielder, both of whom have been significant contributors. But the guys who have filled in for them have done such a good job that you're not really that concerned about the absence of two of eight um, regular defensive guys. Or are you, are you concerned? I'm not concerned because as
2: you say, I think they, one of the things that probably hasn't been discussed enough is that in the second half of the season, the depth has really shown itself. Mm-hmm. You know, Rymel Tappi has been a contributor. Danny Jansen down at the bottom of the order has been a force. Whit Merrifield, the last three, four weeks has been terrific. Their six, seven, eight, nine guys have been the best in baseball on the season. Uh, now they—it's it, interesting because Guriel and Espinal were replaced on the roster by Gabriel Moreno and Otto Lopez, both of whom are very, very skilled young players. Now they're different players than Espinal and Guriel. Espinal, to me, if he's healthy enough to be on the roster, I don't think he starts. I think Merrifield's going to start, based on the way he's been hitting. But Espinal could come on as a defensive replacement at the end of the game. Not that there's anything wrong with Merrifield, but I think Espinal's a little bit better. Guriel is, is even more interesting because he could be available to play or he might only be available to hit and not stay in the field. So if his value is, is diminished by that, then you have to ask yourself, you know, is it worth it? I still think it's worth it. Um, and if he's on the roster, maybe Bradley Zimmer comes off and they don't have Zimmer and Jackie Bradley Jr., um, I think Guriel could be useful in the Robbie Ray game. Do you want Raimel Tapia in there against Robbie Ray? Uh, Tapia to me does not look comfortable against lefties most of the time. I would like Guriel in the lineup against Ray. He can be the DH uh, in that game. They can figure out who to play where to make it work. Um, you know, they've got some versatility. Uh, or maybe he's just available to come off the bench and pinch hit. Maybe it's nothing more than that. A tough lefty comes in out of the bullpen in a spot and Toppy is the batter and Guriel comes up with two men on to pinch hit. So um, I think the Blue Jays definitely benefit by getting both of them onto the roster, but I don't think they're – I think they've shown that they can win with the the roster
1: they've got right now. One of the things you look at is – um, playoff experience? How much experience? And, and neither team really has a, a lot, other than one guy. And you have to think that the George Springer influence is is going to be huge for the Blue Jays, don't you? Yeah,
2: I think it helps, and I and I think they've got some decent experience um, in other areas as well. Maybe it's not a ton of games, but right. just so just off the top of my head, Kevin Gosman has started and relieved in the playoffs. Ross Stripling has made 10 or 11 relief appearances in the playoffs. Most of them are the Dodgers, obviously. Matt Chapman has played in the playoffs. Jimmy Garcia has a lot of playoff experience, a lot of it. Um, uh, Did a bunch with Houston last year. Um, And then there's 2020, you know, does that they were, it felt like they were in for about a minute and a half, right? That's you know, right. They were yeah, they minutes. were in for two games, less than 24 hours in front of cardboard cutouts at the trop. I mean, you want to talk about uh, not a real playoff experience. That was a big crowd there. at
1: the trop, Dan. Yeah, Come on now. Let's, that was a big cr- crowd. At yeah, the that's Trump. true. They
2: had more cardboard <laughs> cutouts and fans. Yeah. But, but you know, Vladdy and Bo and Teosca Hernandez and Gurriel and Danny Jansen, they were there. They played in those games. So if you're looking at experience, there's no. The Blue Jays have an experience advantage. They have a home field advantage. Um, they have an offensive advantage. I think the Mariners have a pitching advantage, and I think the Mariners have kind of a you know they haven't been there in 21 years. They just snapped the longest playoff drought. Their energy and their fans. It's really important to me that this these games are in Toronto. Their fans are out of their minds right now. Out of their minds. It's like the Blue Jays were in, in 2015 when they made the playoffs for the first time. In 22 years, so I think it's huge that that these games uh, are in Toronto. But I, I do think the experience can matter, and I think the Blue Jays with um, Chapman, Springer, Gosman, uh, uh, Stripling, David Phelps, another guy. It was 10 years ago, but he's pitched in the playoffs as well. I do think they've got some some good leaders and some and some guys who can help the younger guys. But I think at this point, if you're Vladdy, Bo, et cetera, you've gotta be past that. Uh, I know they're 23, 24 years old, but this is their second time in the playoffs, their third year of playing on a, you know, a quality contending team. And, and I, I, I think they've, they've learned enough about themselves over the last three years that they're ready.
0: I, I must tell you, I, I think this play, the, the whole concept of, uh, you know, how much experience do you have is way overrated. I think at the end of the day, these are professional athletes. I mean, yes, they are young. Blue Jays have a bunch of guys in their mid-20s. But I just don't think experience matters that much. I think you've got one – if you've got one guy who can tell you stories about what he's been through or what it's like, I think that's plenty. And then you go out and experience it. I mean, all they're going to be doing is playing in front of 50,000 or close to (laughs) 50,000 instead of 40,000. So what's – you know, really – What's the difference?
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny. And you can always cherry pick an example on either side of an argument, but I remember doing uh, a series. Um, I I hope I'm not remembering this wrong. It was the Yankees and the Angels. So this uh, 2002 shows you how long I've been doing playoff games for ESPN radio, 2002. So this is the year after the Yankees lost to the diamondbacks on the Luis Gonzalez hit. These were still the Yankees. This was still Rivera, O'Neal, Jeter, Posada, Bernie. Like it was still those guys the angels came into the series with one player who had ever played in the playoffs before Kevin Apier, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of their pitchers, they won the world series, the angels, they beat the Yankees. Then they beat whoever else they they beat the twins and then they beat the giants and they won the world series. So it can go either way. I I think it's an advantage. Um, And I think home field is an advantage as well but if Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray and Logan Gilbert are all at the top of their games that you know that can neutralize all of the other advantages. The Blue Jays are the better team in my opinion. They are the more talented team in my opinion, but they have to play well. We have all seen the peaks and valleys that this team like all teams has this year. Their valleys are not very good and you get into a valley in a 2 out of 3, your season's over. Yeah. But it, but if they if they have good at bats, if they don't chase pitches out of the zone too much, Um, you know, if they don't get a little too hyper and jumpy in the batter's box sometimes, you know, if if they're not going to get that many great pitches to hit, if they take advantage of the pitches in the strike zone, um, I, I think they'll be fine.
1: You know, I think they, I think it is that emotional side that you say, okay, they're 23, and, and we know how emotionally involved a guy like, uh, Guerrero can get in a game, and does it affect his? His strike zone, his own version of his strike zone. That's a question. Because when, when you look at great players, great regular season players, um, you know, David Price, for example, you know, the, there are guys that are fantastic in the 162, and then they get the 163, they're not the same person.
2: It took Barry Bonds forever, forever right. to have right. success in the playoffs. So I would hope um, that Vladdy does not – he shouldn't feel like he has to carry the team, and he shouldn't feel like he has to hit a home run every at-bat. If Laddie just swings at the right pitches, he's as good a hitter as there is in baseball. Um, uh, and, and I think he's got good voices, you know, good players around him helping him. Like, look at who he's got—a hot hitter in Bobichet in front of him, and he's got an all-star in Alejandro Kirk behind him. And Teoscar Hernandez is red-hot right now. But, but, but you're right—you never know in a small sample size. You know, you're. Your first at bat, you get a base hit. Maybe that sets the tone. Your first at bat, you strike out and you leave a couple of men on. Maybe that sets the tone. To to me, Vladdy and Teoscar Hernandez are the two that I think about because they're, both of their ceilings are so incredibly high. Mm-hmm. But if they do chase, they can get into some bad habits. And it's tough to fix bad habits uh, in, in a two out of three. But uh, they're both, they both seem to be in a very good place uh, at the end of the season. And um, I, I think there's a better chance of them doing well than struggling.
0: Well, certainly, T. Oscar. The difference in in him the last month or so has been dramatic. I would say, yeah, even more even more so than uh, Vladdy Jr. Don't you think? Oh yeah. So, and, and again, he's unbelievably
2: talented. He can hit the ball as far as anybody, and I'm including Vladdy in that. But he will swing and miss a lot. He will swing at balls out of the zone a lot. Um, you know, there are stats for everything, and and part of the daily stats pack we get one of the many many lists that we get is the batting average on balls in in, they call it middle middle so not you know that it is what it is they they split the strike zone into nine squares and they're talking about that middle square tay oscar hernandez has the highest batting average in baseball on balls in that middle square picture an x and o board that Mm -hmm. that one right in the middle he's hitting like 518 this year or something it's it's ridiculous (laughs) what it is um if he can be patient lay off that slider down and away and it's coming from luis castillo and And force Castillo to throw a ball in the strike zone, he's got a puncher's chance against. So Castillo's an outstanding pitcher. Like a lot of good teams get shut down by Luis Castillo. But uh, Teoscar to me is the why if you if you were to say to me, pick one wild card on this team, it's Teoscar Hernandez because if he swings at the right pitches, he's an, an
1: elite, an elite hitter. Before we go to break, um, uh, how much of an advantage is Roger Center? I think it is. You know, it's funny. It's not
2: like the numbers say it's not like home ice or home court. Um, But I think it is because you guys know it'll be bananas down there. And it would have been just as bananas, if not more, if these games were in Seattle. Does it turn a 50-50 series into an 80-20? No. But but I I think it is an advantage. And I think given that this team did not play at home at all, regular season or postseason in 2020, barely played at home last year and then fell a game short of the playoffs um i think they want the players want it as much as the fans want it um and and i think it it is uh i i think it is meaningful i i think it is something it's not like football where you can hit the guy harder because you're all revved up because your fans are going crazy and all that you know baseball is not a try harder sport but you know this team has figuratively speaking and literally been on the road so much Feeling like the road team in Dunedin, the road team in Buffalo, the road team in the playoffs in 2020, I think it means a lot to, to them to be
0: home. So uh, I, I'm, I do think it matters. Dan Shulman is with us. We'll take a quick break. Come back with uh, more after these messages. Cowan Shannon, back with you. Dan Shulman is uh, with us as we address the uh, upcoming postseason in baseball as it pertains to the Blue Jays specifically. Uh, two questions kind of wrapped into one, Danny. Um, this organization has to decide on a, a roster because uh, they got to get down to 26. Is that right? Correct,
2: yeah. And they were yeah. at 28 at the end of the regular season.
0: Right. And part of that is, do you, do you take three catchers into the postseason? Yeah. And there's an argument to do that. But tell me what you would do. What's your thinking?
2: So a couple of weeks ago, I didn't think they would. I thought, you know, they've done this dance with Bradley Zimmer all season long, you know, keeping him on the roster when he wasn't hitting at all. They lost him on waivers to the Phillies. Then the Phillies put him on waivers and they claimed him back. They like the fact that he's an elite defensive player and a very fast base runner. Uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, I would have thought he's going to get the last spot. Now I think Gabriel Moreno is going to get the last spot. And some of this gets wrapped up into Lourdes Gurriel and whether he can be on the roster or not. But um I believe they're going to take Moreno for a couple of reasons. One is Danny Jansen is hitting like crazy, and I think Danny Jansen's going to DH when Alejandro Kirk catches, and I think Alejandro Kirk is going to DH when Danny Jansen catches. Uh, if I'm guessing, and, and you know, by the time this gets out, we might know the game one lineup tomorrow. I don't know if they're going to announce it today or tomorrow, so I might look silly. But even though Jansen's a right-handed batter. I think he's going to be in there as the DH in game one. I don't see Kevin Biggio or Jackie Bradley Jr. in the lineup. I think Toppy is in there as the one left-handed bat. So if both of your catchers are liable to be starters in all three games, I think it's a nice thing to have that third catcher because you have to pinch run for Kirk late in the game if you're mm-hmm. down a run and he's on. You have to. You're like, you cannot leave him out there. If you're down a run or two in the eighth or ninth, he's got to come out of the game. And then you, you're you going to lose your DH if you don't have a third catcher. And the other thing is, remember that extra innings, it's real baseball now. It's not runner at second. So games, instead of going 10 or 11, could go 12 or 13 or 14. And then you might have lost your DH for two or three at-bats. And you might not have guys on the bench, enough guys on the bench anymore. So I think Moreno gives them more value than Zimmer right now. So I believe Gabby Moreno will be on the roster.
0: Okay, I tend to agree with you, um, and Zimmer would be the guy who would, who would be off. And, I think and, so, yeah. And yes, he provides you know good defense, a well above average defense, and he provides some speed on the bases, but he can't hit, and he demonstrated that yesterday yeah. in his opportunities. Did he get a hit yesterday in the two? He games? got a bloop over the third baseman's
2: head, but he he has two points of value, and it's they're up a run or two in the eighth or ninth and he takes somebody off the field or he pinch runs and not necessarily not to steal a base to score from first on a double or second on a single. They already have Jackie Bradley Jr. Mm -hmm. Who's not quite as good defensively as Zimmer and is not as fast as Zimmer, but he's a better hitter. So I think Bradley's on the roster because I think he gives them a little bit more all round value. So if they, you know, if, if they have Tapia Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, for example, in their outfield and they're leading late, Bradley will come in for either Tapia or Hernandez, one of those two. And you live with the other one in the field and hope it doesn't bite you um, at, at the end of a game. You know, I, I think sometimes when you plan a playoff roster, you have, to, you have to anticipate the worst case scenario. What do we do if this happens? Like mm-hmm. you can't have, um, you know, a, a mistake on the roster cost you a series. And I think they need to pinch run for Kirk. And I think they need to know that they have another catcher available if the game goes deep into extra innings. And as much as you'd like to see Zimmer out there in center field in the ninth inning, I I, I, I think Moreno offers a little more insurance against things that could go wrong. The other reason I think they're going to take them is because yesterday he played left field, second base, and third <laughs> base in the second game of the doubleheader. And I don't think they were screwing around and having fun. He's a very good athlete. He he was signed as an infielder, kind of a shortstop second baseman. And not that nine innings in three different positions is really going to help him. But I think they're just kind of saying, get ready, kid. You never know. Like, you're going to be on the roster. And if if all hell breaks loose, you might be the guy we turn to just to go fill a spot somewhere. And hit his first home run. And hit his first home run and had four hits, I think, in the doubleheader and looked good. You know the funny thing about him, and it would be crazy to do it, but say you have one of these situations, uh, it's more of a regular season thing with the runner at second, but you're in extra innings and there's a runner at third with one out and a fly ball wins you a game or contact gets that run in. He's an elite contact hitter. In many ways, he's a better bet to get that runner home than some of the big boys on this team because they have more swing and miss. And they have a lot of trust in him to go up there and give them a quality at bat. I'm not suggesting he's going to pinch hit for Matt Chapman or Teoscar Hernandez or anything like that, but he might find himself up in a crazy spot where contact is what they're looking for. And they would be comfortable with that.
0: Well, to that end and in that context, I mean, I'm, I'm not convinced that um, either Espinal or Gurriel is guaranteed to be on the roster for this yeah. series. And, and I don't, I, I mean, these are guys that have not played a single second for a an extended period of time. Yeah, You're now in the playoffs. It is now, everything is critical. Neither one of these guys I don't think is ready to start. So now you're talking about a bat off the bench potentially. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either one of them is ready yeah. for that.
2: And if Guriel is not ready, I assume Zimmer is on. And if Espinall not ready, I assume Otto Lopez is on. Like if neither one of them is ready, I assume the position players that um, and, and I want to make sure I don't have too many on right there. I don't think I do. I assume no, because they have 14 position players now and I think they'll keep 14 position players and go with 12 pitchers. So mm-hmm. in effect, it would be two pitchers coming off yesterday's roster for tomorrow. So I, I think Zimmer and Lopez are just, they're the, they're the backups. If Guriel and Espinal can't go, then those guys are on the roster.
1: You know, there hasn't been, we haven't talked anything about uh, the dimension that Whit Merrifield has brought to this team, particularly in the last, what, three weeks? Yeah. Because it's re- everybody talked when the trade occurred, well, he's going to, he's going to be the, the relief guy for Springer. Springer, he's going to play center field because George has got the bad elbow. But now with the Espinal injury, he's in, in, a, in a position where he's familiar as well. And he's getting regular at bats. And what yeah. a difference that makes. He's the second baseman. I mean, this guy led the American League in doubles and stolen bases
2: last year and led the league in hits in 18 and 19. And, you know, he's not 27. He's 32, I think. But he's, he's a good player. You know, he's a guy who had always played every day and had never been traded, had never been in another organization other than Kansas City's. So he gets traded to a different team, a different country, where he knows he's walking into uh, kind of a, uh, a vaccine storm of questions at the beginning, which was all obviously put to bed when we found out he was vaccinated. And then he's playing two days a week. And because they have a very deep team and Espinal was coming off an all-star appearance and Biggio was swinging the bat well then. And it took him a while to get going, but uh, you know, as somebody once said to me, nobody's as bad as they look when they're in a slump, nobody's as good as they look when they're on a hot streak and he's on an incredible hot streak. But I think he's an extremely important player for a number of reasons, Uh, and I'll give you two. He's the most disruptive base runner they have. He's the guy they worry about. And it's not just a stolen base. Um, but he can take an extra base, he can advance on a ground ball, he can tag up on a fly ball. Remember the crazy play in Minnesota where the twins got called, Gary Sanchez got called for blocking the plate, right. not giving a lane. That's Merrifield. And um, that can help hitters. And when we talk about hitters, oftentimes we say, Well, who's hitting behind them? Who's protecting them? I actually think it's more important who's hitting in front of them, because if the guy in front of them is on base, then you really got to deal with the guy in the box. And the guy in the box is Springer. And the guy after him is Bo. And the guy after him is Vladdy. And I think what Jansen and Merrifield have done at the bottom of the order has been extraordinarily important for this offense. Because if you're the opposing pitcher, there's no... There's no resting spot. There's no 174 hitter at the bottom of the order who you can count on to get an out so you know Springer's coming up with nobody on base. And and that, to me, has been the biggest value of Merrifield so far.
1: I'm just, I'm just curious. Around the batting cage well before games, did you get the sense that of, of his frustration? Did you get it? I mean, I, I mean, I. we don't get that when you yep. see practices in in basketball or hockey and guys aren't fitting in you, you don't get a chance to see it, but you're so much closer in baseball. Yes.
2: So, and I have asked him and many others about that. So it's interesting. You asked the answer is a, an unequivocal. No, not for a second. John Schneider has gone out of his way a dozen times to call him the consummate pro and, and an extraordinary teammate. Uh, whatever you need, Skip, I know I'm not hitting. Don't worry about me, Skip. Just whenever you need me, wherever you need me, you can put me in. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's lip service. I don't. Um, I've talked to Wit about it enough and I've talked to John Schneider about it a lot. And there are some guys who will grumble <laughs> and be a little counterproductive in the room. And I don't think Whit Merrifield is that guy at all. And in fact, I think he's right at the the top end of the scale um, in terms of, of, uh, just trying to be helpful in whatever way he can. And I think he's been important for Bo Bichette too. I think, you know, Bo is always, as much as he grew up in a baseball family and as confident as he is in himself, whether it's Marcus Simeon, whether it's Matt Chapman, whether it's Whit Merrifield, Bo is smart enough to know that he can learn from more experienced players. And I think Wit's also helped Bo a lot in the last part of the season too.
0: Well, you know, m- m- uh, there was a there was a, a a conversation was taking place obviously, suggesting that Merrifield was uncomfortable in coming to the Blue Jays, surrounded by a group of guys who are better better players, quite honestly, than the guys he was surrounded by in Kansas City. But I think he just came at a time when he was slumping, yeah, and had to fight through it. And um, I, this guy has been uh, tremendous the last couple of weeks for this team. And is a very, very important part of this club going forward.
2: Yeah. And, he, and again, he's an everyday player uh, until a, a, he had a toe injury a few weeks just before the Blue Jays played the Royals in July. Before that toe injury, he was baseball's Iron Man. He played in 500 and something consecutive games like this guy's literally used to being either the number one or number two hitter and playing every single day. Mm -hmm. And now he comes to, as you say, Bob, a much more talented team, and he's going to be a part-time player and hit at the bottom of the order. (laughs) That's an adjustment. And just getting traded for the first time um, is an adjustment. So, and he didn't know very many guys. He knew a couple of guys, really. So, um, but he's a good player. You know, is he uh, a 360 hitter like he's been the last three weeks? Probably not. But if he can, you know, get a hit here, get get a hit there, take a base here, take a base there. Uh, make the plays on what's hit to them at second base. You know, not every team has stars at every spot. And if Whit Merrifield is your number nine guy and Danny Jansen is your number eight guy, you are way ahead of mm-hmm. most teams. Offense is down in baseball this year uh, across the board. And, uh, you know, the Blue Jays, again, they're eight, nine, they're seven, eight, nine, they're six, seven, eight, nine, however you want to look at it, the bottom part of the order. They have been, by every number you can look at, the most productive bottom of the order team in baseball. And, and, and again, like I said, I think that's what really helps Springer Bichette and Guerrero up at the top.
1: Where's the offense going to come from the Mariners?
2: Uh, Julio Rodriguez is going to win the rookie of the year. And I would say within a year, we're going to be talking about him as one of the five best players in baseball. Uh, coming off a back injury, but he was back for their last series and went five for 11 with a homer. So I think he's fine. So He was the one who made
1: the impact of the All-Star game, correct?
2: Yes. Yeah. He's a stud. He's he's great. He, he's a terrific player. They have power. Carlos Santana has power. Eugenio Suarez has power. They do strike out a lot and they don't hit for much of an average. They've got a couple of younger players, Mitch Hanegar and Jared Kelnick, especially Kelnick, who's had a miserable season, spent most of it at AAA, but both of them hit a bunch of home runs the last uh, few weeks or la- last uh, really week. And if you can hit home runs in Seattle, you can hit home runs in Toronto because Seattle is a bigger ballpark, tougher ballpark for hitters. Um, but you can get them to, to swing and miss. Um so I think if the Mariners, the Mariners, I don't think are going to beat the Blue Jays going single, double, single, single. That, that's not who they are. They're, you know, walk single homer. Uh, and they've got guys who can do it. And, and Carlos Santana to me, uh, although he didn't have a great, great year, he's an important guy. You talk about a veteran guy who's been in the playoffs, who's got a low heartbeat, who's a leader on the team. He's got all of that stuff. So to me, he's a really important guy um, that the Blue Jays uh, have to be able to get him out. So they're more top heavy in their lineup. The bottom is not as good. They're more dependent on power. The Blue Jays, I, I think they're not as dependent on power as people think they are. They have power, but there are other things they actually do better. They were like seventh, I think, in the majors and home runs. They were first in batting average. Like, you, you don't think of them that way. You think of them as an all or nothing home run or strikeout kind of team. The numbers don't say that's true. They chase less often than most teams. They strike out less often than most, than almost any other team. Um, so I think the Blue Jays have an advantage there. But for Seattle, John, it, it's if it's don't walk guys. Because if you're going to give up a homer, give up a solo homer. Mm-hmm. Don't give up a two or three-run homer because you're walking guys. So that, to me, is one of the big keys of the series.
0: Well, this Blue Jay team also was a team, and I don't have the stats by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know whether you do. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But... This team goes to the opposite field as much as any team I've seen in a long, long time.
2: Yeah, and I love it, and I think they should. (laughs) So do I. Because right-handed pitchers, uh, let's say Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, games one and three, their sliders break down and away from the righties. Blue Jays have eight right-handed batters. And that gets back to what we were talking about a little while ago about swinging at the right pitches. If you're going to swing at that slider on the outside corner or two inches off the outside corner, it's, that's a hard pitch to pull. The sliders you pull are the ones that are mistakes over the middle of the plate or the inner third. The, it's the pitches away from you that Vladdy and Teoscar have to take to up the middle or to the, in my opinion, up the middle or to the opposite field when, they're, when the ball is away. It's too hard to do damage on a slider away to the pull side. Uh, easier said than done, obviously. Um, But Guerrero and Teoscar, especially Teoscar, again, have great numbers to the opposite field. We know Bo Bichette's going to the opposite field. That's Mm -hmm. not a problem, right? That's a given. That's not a problem. This, again, to me is where Guerrero and and Teoscar are the wild cards. I don't think they're going to get a lot inside. I think they're going to get, and I don't think they're going to get a ton of fastballs. I think those two guys are going to get, and now Robbie Ray's a different story in game Two. but from uh, Castillo and Gilbert and a lot of guys, a lot of the righties coming out of the bullpen. I think it's going to be slider down and away, slider down and away. And if you swing at it, I think it's the kind of pitch that you're best served trying to take it up the middle or hit it to right center. And it's, and as we know, Vladdy and Teoscar have plenty of power to hit the ball out
1: to right center. That's not a problem. All
0: right. John, anything else
1: from you? Yeah, yeah, I actually, I'm going to do, I'm I'm going to go off course here. Um, A a couple of questions. Um, We had Buck on, on Tuesday. And classic Buck, he was unbelievable, but Buck may be finished. Um, First of all, what was it like to have Buck back in the booth? It it
2: was fantastic. Um, You know, first of all, that meant that he was feeling well enough to be back in the booth. And that's by far the most important thing. And I know what this job means to him. I know how much he loves going down on the field and talking to people, the coaches, the players. I've worked with a, a thousand people. From the day you hired me 30 years ago, John, until until today. In all different sports, for all different networks, I've never, ever, ever seen anybody who was better at going down on the field and or court or ice or whatever it is and, and getting information out of people and who gets more of an enjoyment out of it than Buck yeah. does. So it was, you know, when I started in 1995 doing Jays games at TSN, I was 28 years old. I didn't even know what I didn't even know. And Buck taught me. So it was wonderful to be able to see him uh, come back. Um, you know, I saw the Globe and Mail story that you're obviously that, uh, obviously you were, uh, alluding to, and I'm sure you talked to Buck about that when you had yep. him on and, um, you know, he and I have talked once or twice, uh, very briefly and privately about it. I don't need to know now. And I don't think he wants to decide now, nor should he, you, you know, he's earned the right to get through the season uh, and then decide, you know, and he's feeling good. He's not feeling 100%. I think people know that, it, you know, he's come back from a, a a major, major health scare that involved a lot of treatment. And, and you know, his, um, you know, his energy may not be peak buck energy, but, you know, what he's doing is unbelievable. And the reaction from the fans to him being back is unbelievable, not surprising, but unbelievable um, as well. So it's meant the world to have him back. And I have too much respect for him, to say to him now, have you made up your mind yet? Like that's, that's his decision to make. And I'm sure he'll be given all the time in the world uh, to make that decision after the season is over.
1: The the other one is, it's about three weeks ago. I'm driving out of the golf course parking lot, turn on the radio. And I hear a new voice. Um, And it's Ben, it's your son. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine what it would be like to be in one broadcast booth doing TV yeah, and your son doing the radio? and how many times <laughs> during the uh, the inning breaks did you did you wonder? I wonder how he's doing? How is it going? <laughs> what 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 was going through your mind when your son was just doing, by the way, doing a marvelous job?
2: Thank you. It, it was very special. Um, so he, you know, obviously, I have followed every single thing that he's done very closely. So for a lot of people, may not know him at all, or only may know him from the handful of Blue Jays games that he did. He did four road games back in May, I guess it was when they were in Anaheim, but he was in the studio then because at that time they weren't traveling radio for road. So um, I was actually in the studio. I was the worst dad in the world. I was there (laughs) on the first day and I said, I promise buddy, I'm not going to try to come in. You know, it's tough to navigate your way into the building there. And so I drove him down and I had the key card and I, It was off a monitor and I just, you know, but I heard him do all four games and he did great. So by the time he got to the Angels game uh, or uh, sorry, to the Orioles games at home this past week, I was totally confident, John, that he was fine. And obviously I couldn't hear him because I was doing the games on TV, Yeah, but I'm very proud of him. He's um, you know, he he's worked very hard and he's very respectful and deferential um to the to the people he works with and the people he works for and i'm i'm very hopeful as a dad that he has a, a bright future he can call uh you'd love him john he calls like six different sports he's done lacrosse he's done soccer he's done field hockey football basketball baseball and it was it was really wonderful we we actually didn't put him on air i didn't like say hey can you put him on camera and i'll talk about him to, you know we didn't do that i didn't want right. to overdad it but uh it was a very, a very special few days.
1: Well, as a guy whose son is in the broadcast business too, not on the air, it's, uh, it's tough on kids sometimes to be it the is. sons. It's tough, and uh, can, I just wanted to uh, to to say congratulations to you, and more importantly, uh, congratulations to him. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. I will pass that along, John. I appreciate it. Cheers.
0: Uh, we are back, McCowan Shannon, with you. Our thanks to Dan Shulman, of course, for uh, joining us, and my apologies for disappearing at the end there with some technical difficulties.
1: Oh, no, no, no. You, it was the best answer Dan gave. So,
0: oh, I can imagine it was It was obviously <laughs> something that a question that you asked.
1: The questions were electric.
0: <laughs> well, at least yours were, I'm sure.
1: Hey, um, uh, sorry. Se- Seattle, Toronto. There is something. Um, fascinating to me about this remember the the jays came into the american league as an expansion team in 1977 with the seattle mariners um you know seattle has become one of those outposts uh in baseball where canadians migrate to to cheer for the jays seattle and toronto have had great rivalries in other sports like, and, and like the MLS
0: championship,
1: oh, the, the, the MLS championship two years in a row.
0: there they, not it, a the, rivalry. It just
1: happened. Okay. Uh, I'm just saying there, there's something to me. I I love threads like this. And, uh, and the fact that Seattle and Toronto, here we are, you know, how many years later that these two teams make it. And, and it, it, to me, it's kind of fun. Of course, I have an affinity, as you know, I have an affinity for the Pacific Northwest anyway. So it's, it's well, kind of cool.
0: As just, that was what I was going to say. First of all, it's your bent. Uh, But secondly, I think if you live in Vancouver or, you know, the Southern BC peninsula, I, this is a, this is a big deal. Yeah. Because Vancouver has, has long looked to Seattle as kind of their, I don't know, connection to us sports and, you know, all kinds of Vancouverites go down to Seattle for games when the Blue Jays are, are there, or whether they're, even when they're not. So I get it if you're in Southern BC. In the rest of Canada, who cares? Seattle Mariners and Toronto Blue Jays do not have any kind of rivalry, or, or, or. Oh anything no, no, extra.
1: I'm not. I wasn't suggesting the baseball teams. I'm, I'm suggesting there appears to be a little bit of a rivalry between the cities. That's all I was saying because it's kind of cool. I, I, mean, I know you, you're, you're, you're a hard, ass. you don't see, you don't all see that. You don't give a flying fadoo, do you? Well, no.
0: And I mean, the only thing you can compare it to is the soccer team. And even then who cares if the Seattle Sounders are coming in to play, you know, TFC in the, in the post season.
1: I couldn't care less. I'm, I am just giving you bonus points for knowing the name.
0: Oh, uh, what the soccer team?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's pretty good. Huh? <laughs>
1: Pretty good. You've you have you have gone to the dark side. Now you're a soccer fan.
0: <laughs> well, what do you expect from this playoff series?
1: Well, listen, as Danny said, the thing that scares you about the about the Mariners is their starting pitching. Can can they come in here and win two straight games? Yeah, they can. With their starting pitching, they can win two games, and this series is over. We laughed about how quick the series in Tampa lasted—twenty-four hours the same thing could happen here. If, 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 if Castillo and, 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 Robbie Very easily. yeah, but you know, I, I think that there's, I, I think the, the, the Blue Jay bats, I, I I think will be, be the difference maker. I expect it to go three games. I really do. I think Sunday it'll be an electric day at, at Rogers center and, and, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if it goes either way. It really wouldn't. It, I, I think it's a, in many ways for me because of the Mariners starting pitching It's closer to a pick
0: Well, a couple of things. First of all, the Blue Jays' record at home is virtually the same as their record on the road. And so having home field advantage feels like an advantage. Feels like it should be an advantage. I'm not positive it is. Um, Although I guess, my guess is, no idea, that the Mariners had a much better record at home than they did on the road. So Mm -hmm. they probably won't feel quite as comfortable. Um, that's number one. And number two is I'll be really fascinated as to how this pitching rotation lines up beyond game. One, we know it's Manoa in the first, we don't know who it is in game two. And, um, do you want Gosman in game three? If the blue Jays win game one, um, you know, that 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 probably sounds like your best scenario.
1: I, I got 10 seconds here. I just want to win as quickly as possible. That's all I want to do. If you're the Mar- Blue Jays, and I, if you're the Mariners, win as quickly as possible. Get the day rest.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, we'll see what happens. It's the Blue Jays and the Mariners in uh, the opening game tomorrow night. Uh, we're out of here. We thank you for watching or listening, and we'll uh, see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody.